Hello and welcome to Tales from the Doghouse Separation Anxiety Explained. I am Ness Jones and with me today is... I am Stacey Bell from Focused Fun in the U.S. Joining us today, we have a really special guest. Tanya Lim is joining us to talk about getting ready for a baby. I will let Tanya introduce herself, but just real quickly, she is the co-founder and head trainer for Family Pups and she does obviously both dog training, but is um, also a doggy doula. So um, Tanya, tell us um, a little bit about yourself and um, how you kind of arrived at that specialty. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for having me on. I'm so excited to be here with you and to talk about this subject, which I think is important but it can oftentimes be a little bit neglected due to maybe not enough information being provided out there on what we need to be doing so i'm excited to dive deeper into that um i began my certification journey for training about five years ago and i was really inspired by a fellow trainer who i was looking up to and actually through her i found the family pause parent education program so they're um, one of the leaders in the market when it comes to dogs and babies and dogs and toddlers and this is how I learned about dogs and babies and dogs and toddlers. And as I was going through the program, I realized that there is so much lack of knowledge and understanding in the market when it comes to that aspect of dog training that it really became apparent to me that it can be something that I can help um people with and also help spread more awareness um, on the larger scheme as much as I possibly can. <laughs> so with, I, uh, with the two, <laughs> thank you. With the two programs, I was a licensed educator for the last um, three or four years. Um, however, with those, I had to do a group presentation. And as we all went through the pandemic, we weren't doing many group presentations in person. So my actual private business has really thrived. And this is, um, this is what I'm focused on nowadays. Great, great. We will put your um, full bio in the show notes um, just so people have that. Um, but okay, so um, talk to us about, can you just define what a doggy doula is in case somebody is not um, familiar with that terminology? Yes, absolutely. And I have to say that it definitely took us a little bit of time and a little bit of um, experimentation when it comes to the term that we were using in order to describe our service because it is pretty unique um, when it comes to um, yeah what's being offered out there. So we played around with a few variations of it. Um, and as I was growing my business, I was working or I was networking with local doulas because those are 
some of the people that people look up to when it comes to finding resources and information. So I felt like a doggy doula could describe to people what I do. However, <laughs> what ends up happening is it's actually more of a conversation starter because when I say I'm a doggy doula, people often think that I help dogs give birth, which, um, I mean, I would love to be present <laughs> at dog giving birth, but it's, it's not what I do. So I just kind of get the conversation going and then I can tell them, well, I actually, you know, help prepare. So not only the training aspect, but there are definitely components of, you know, mindset changes and um, kind of like the overall well-being of the situation that I'm focused on. And I think that with that, I relate to the doula aspect of the medical professionals as well. Right, right. Okay, so, so if so, our list, go ahead. So, yeah, sorry, I guess I, I failed to mention exactly what uh, I do as a doggy doula. So I don't help dogs give birth. What I do is I help expecting families prepare uh, their dogs and themselves for uh, the arrival of their baby. So we go through certain um, phases of, you know, determining, figuring out undesirable behaviors and working on um, improving those for the families, uh, teaching the dog a certain set of skills that they can be doing so that they can use those skills once the baby arrives. We create different exposures to baby sounds, to equipment, just to make sure that we understand the dog's reactions to those. And then kind of going through the whole process of preparing for the day when the baby comes home, and then also providing support when the baby is home. And we can dive deeper. Right, right. No, that's great. That's great. So um, for our listeners, obviously, we specialize in um, separation related behaviors. And so I just wanted to, you know, connect the dots for our listeners in case they're wondering what, <laughs> what is going on here? What's connection? Um, we've talked a lot about on this show about how separation related behaviors can be um, triggered or exacerbated when there's a big routine change, right? So um, one of the things that we can do to really help um, mitigate that where we can is to prepare our dogs. So that's where Tanya comes in with her kind of bag of expertise surrounding on how do you prepare a dog for that new family member. So um, Ness, do you have anything to add in, in that part? Um, no, I'm just I'm curious to hear what, what um, Tanya's got to say, but Tanya's frozen. <laughs> We've lost oh, her. Oh, <laughs> she is. She is frozen. Well, when she comes back, we have some additional <laughs> questions for her. Well, well, yeah. And we do have another special guest here on my lap, little Bertha. <laughs> Hi, Bertha. She's uh, having cuddles this morning. So, Tanya, what are your top tips for before the baby's arrival um, that you work with families on to help prepare the dog? Mm -hmm. Okay, top tip. I guess the overall theme is let's create as many situations as we can based on what life with a baby will look like 
and expose the dog to those situations while we still have, you know, the time to focus on the training and our preparing in a way that will uh, put us in a more proactive state versus reactive state. So as I mentioned, it can be really important, especially if we have a good amount of time to really start with things um, such as behavioral issues. You know, it could be separation anxiety. It could be resource guarding. It could be excessive barking at passersby because if we're thinking of adding baby to the mix, those are definitely some of the issues that we uh, would like to be on top of as much as possible so that our transition is as stressful um, as it could, uh, I guess, as least stressful as it could be. When it comes to basic skills and manners, I find that things like Go to your bed, lay down and stay with duration and distance is definitely a huge staple that I focus on because I want to keep things simple and I want my families when they don't know what to do, just go to your bed, lay down and stay. And that can be a bed, it could be a crate, so definitely starting to prepare for the idea of management. So uh, whether the dog is getting used to staying at a crate or behind a baby gate or a separate area, because we know that as the child starts to um, grow, develop and change, we're definitely going to be needing management options. And, and we want to get those started as quickly as possible. I focus on exposures to sound. So babies crying can actually be one of those um, stressors that I see as a common issue. Typically with newborn babies, they're, it, it tends to go pretty smooth with some exceptions, but definitely the baby crying can be a big stressor. So I've had people who contacted me after they've had the baby and it was a situation whenever the baby would cry, the dog would bark. Um, or some of my clients that we knew that the sounds would be triggering, but obviously we could never know the difference of the dog's response to a YouTube video recorded sound versus the real life thing, but it was similar. When we do diaper changes and baby starts crying, then dog starts to be anxious and starts barking as a result. So we wanna do our best to create the exposures. If we're seeing to baby sounds, if we're seeing signs of stress, then we're going to uh, create a training plan so that we can help that dog desensitize or get used to those sounds so that when the baby comes home, we're not adding um, a stressor. As I mentioned, we do equipment because some of the baby equipment may make sound and may move in a weird way. So we want to know what the dog does when those are on without having a baby inside. Um, and yeah, so when it comes to then bringing the baby home, my biggest tip is do not leave the baby's carrier on the ground so that the dog can just go and sniff all over them and put their face into the baby's face. I've watched enough uh, YouTube videos of dog meeting a baby for the first time and seen enough examples of how we shouldn't do it. 
We are always doing everything we can um, with the information that we have. And I do think that it's important for me to stress that, you know, it's a, once the baby arrives, it's a period of time where we want to take things slow. We really want to learn about the dog's responses to the baby and just kind of get into a routine before we start to allow more access and more freedom around each other if we feel comfortable with that. Um, I right, mentioned right. Um, with a with a robust, I mean, it's pretty stressful bringing a baby into the house anyway, but with a, a confident, robust dog, that's going to be a stressful event. But how do you tackle a dog that's already got underlying anxiety? Yeah, so when it comes to dogs who have more fear and anxiety, uh, we want to pinpoint what the main triggers are and aim for creating those gradual exposures and building positive associations with those triggers as much as possible, as well as creating spaces where the dog can feel safe. Um, so whether that's a crate, whether that's a certain space within the house so that if the dog is looking stressed and we feel like the dog needs a break, we can redirect the dog to that area. Of course, with a lot of enrichment um, that do the dog can work on so that we can give them um, activities that they love. And I find that sometimes if there is a lot going on in the household, it's definitely worth knowing what the local resources are. So for example, do we would this dog benefit from, let's say, an extra day or so a daycare so they can have more outlets for their energy and social interactions? Or do we need to have a dog walker who can come and pick the dog up and just kind of figure out what are the how can we care to those needs as well manage the environment as much as possible so that we can decrease stress to the changes that are taking place within the home. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think you all of those are really good points. But one of the things that I think for dogs that are struggling with separation related behaviors and who are also sensitive to routine changes, um, one of the things is to think about what life might look like once the baby does come and then make those, uh, start making those changes gradually or introducing some of that variety into um, the dog's schedule um, so that it's not like this big, like not only is there this new human who makes new noises and new smells and all of that kind of stuff, but also there's a total shift in our routine. So if there are some of those elements that you can introduce, then I think that's a, a good call. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Yes. So do you even um, work with clients um, maybe being able to push a stroller and walk their dog or like are those the types of skills that you would sometimes add as well as um, any addressing any fears? Yes, the stroller is definitely an important um, part of our training plan. And I definitely uh, missed it uh, earlier when I was describing. So great catch. It can be important to expose um, 
dogs, especially if they have sensitivities to movement, um, dogs, some dogs can be afraid of just like the wheels and um, kind of like being right by it. So I typically would um, have the dog on a leash outside and then we'll introduce the stroller at a distance just to see how the dog reacts and then to determine whether we need to make, do an exercise to where we are helping the dog feel more positively about it and then introduce more movement. But yeah, we we definitely walk um, around the neighborhood. I just want my clients to get a feeling for, um, you know, how are they holding uh, the dog, how are they holding the stroller. Um, a huge tip is to never ever attach the dog's leash to the stroller because mm -hmm. you obviously don't want your dog to lunge towards something and you know, that wouldn't be safe. Um, and I have found that for my personal services, oftentimes um, that aspect, depending on what we're seeing from the dog, is one of those contestants to, hey, let me do a day training session where I take the dog, I take the stroller, I just kind of teach uh, the dog what to do and then like get the family in the mix and then coach them on it and I find that we make a lot more progress and I'm sure <laughs> that pretty much any trainer can um, make this happen for the family as well. Yeah it's right. pretty, it's pretty tricky with um, uh, separation anxiety cases because with the stroller um, mm -hmm. because you know it's gradual desensitization to ins and outs ins and outs you know time outside the door and to pack up the baby <laughs> in a stroller mm -hmm. get it outside get it back in get it back <laughs> not that easy but anyway <laughs> yeah I know yes the um, the separation anxiety training is definitely a commitment to the daily routine or at least five times a week <laughs> yeah yeah it is it is. Um, okay, so common skills that we like to teach um, families ahead of time, mat training, like you said, the go to your mat, lay down and stay there. Um, so mat training, some people call it stationing, um, mm -hmm. the stroller, um, mm -hmm. probably, especially for separation anxiety or dogs who struggle with separation anxiety, um, maybe having a gate in the baby's room and the parents being able to go into the baby's room um, without the dog following, depending on the dog. For some dogs, it might not be a big deal for the dog to go in the room, but for other dogs, we might need a little space there. So teaching um, skills like that um, would also be an important one um, in addition to addressing any um, fears or sounds, smells, anything like that, that may be triggering for the dog. Um, Ness, can you think of other ones or Tanya um, that might be really important skills for dogs with um, separation related behaviors specifically? Um, and I don't know, I mean, would it be, uh, maybe for some dogs, it might be weird, um, to have the baby carrier 
in the car when they're in the car too, because like with our separation anxiety clients, a lot of times the dogs come with, right? So if you're going out to dinner, the dog might be coming with, if you're going to a park or something like that. So I guess looking at what your driving situation is like, so if you have your dog, um, in the back seat and that's where the baby carrier is going to be and you're going to want the dog in the trunk part in a crate, then let's start working on that um, before the baby comes, um, I think would be a good call. So I think um, what you're saying, Tanya, is looking at the dog in front of us and saying, you know, what skills does this dog need to have once the baby comes into the picture? And what behavioral issues do we need to address um, before the baby comes and being really proactive in, in addressing those before the baby comes? Is that um, in a nutshell sound um, like a good recap of that portion of our conversation? Yeah, absolutely. Because every dog's different, every family is different, and we definitely need to take things case by case and the things that are easier for this dog to yeah. learn or get used to are going to be different than this other dog and yeah having that personal approach can make all the difference for that specific right. family right right so then once the baby's here um mm-hmm. what what tips do you have for for the families in that case yep um, so the biggest one, as I referred to a little earlier, was to just take things slow. Take things mm-hmm. slow. You have um, all the time in order to help your dog and baby get used to each other and build a relationship, build a bond as, you know, the baby keeps growing. It's it's a journey. I always find that it's better to err on the side of caution and take things slow than to think that, hey, they, you know, the dog has sniffed the baby and now they're best friends. And now, you know, I'm going to let them hang out while I'm doing this other thing. Um, I don't think that's the best idea. I If we take that approach of like, hey, it's a period of time, everybody's learning about, um, you know, the behaviors that are taking place, about the new routine, um, and kind of looking at it from that lens can really help us be in a mindset of, hey, you know, this is a journey. <laughs> right, right. Um, well, in, and along those lines, I think it, it's really important to constantly reassess that, right? Because with a growing human, there might be um, times in the child's development that are easier or more difficult for your dog, depending on like a lot of times I would imagine when they start crawling or when they start walking or, you know, whatever the case is that sometimes those developmental milestones for the child might provide more difficulty, um, for the dog and, or more difficulty for managing the situation. Yes. If (laughs) I had a dollar for, you know, that saying, if I had a dollar for every time that someone contact me that started with, you know, my dog and baby were fine. And now my baby's crawling and, you know, insert the issue. It is a very common scenario, Um, 
And that will be another important point to consider. Um, oftentimes, whether it's you know the newborn stage, which is typically a little easier, or the stages that follow, what we want to make sure that is not happening is the um, accumulation of stressful events. Right. I see that's the main reason for, um, you know, a lot of the dogs escalating when it comes to like, hey, I need space. Nobody's noticing my communication, my subtle signals, and I'm feeling the need to start to speak louder. Um, so I find that it's really important for new families um i mean we should know that at any stage but especially when it comes to bringing a new human like to learn about dog body language especially the more subtle signals when it comes to um being stressed and especially when it comes to proximity to that child so some examples may be uh, lip flicks and tongue flicks uh, when being approached or when in proximity it can be a yawn it can be a subtle look away or where you see the white of the eyes of the dog um, it could be subtle shifts in the ears or the tail it's all situational, but there are definitely more signals that the dog displays before they go into growling that are important for us to start noticing. So whenever I'm working with my clients, I always make a point to to show that did you see how the dogs how the dog looked away when you know the baby crawled right next to like you know you should be keeping an eye on that. So the body mm -hmm. language. And preventing accumulation of stressful events is a huge point um, for the the success of that family. Mm -hmm. Yeah, body language is big for us too. We 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 toot that same horn um, because yes. you know if if you don't know when your dog's stressed, then you can't yeah. um, gradually expose them in a way that's going to teach them that being home alone is safe or that a child is safe or that a sound is safe or, you know, whatever the situation is. So we are right there with you that, um, educating families on body language. And, and I do find that, you know, a lot of people, well, he was licking the baby or he was, um, you know, wagging his tail. So it's fine. And a lot of times those, those signals um, indicate that the that the dog is stressed or uncomfortable, and so it's it, exactly like you said. It you know, looking at the full context is super important. Yeah, it always, it always scares me. Sorry about my dogs; they're playing. That's why I um, <laughs> you can hear them. <laughs> um, but yeah, it always scares me when you see those YouTube videos or you know TikTok videos, and the dog is displaying all those signs that it's uncomfortable. Yes, one's going, "Oh, it's so cute," and you're like, "No, it's not cute." That dog's like this far away from. Yeah, yeah. Time. I have started not looking at those. Um, because it stresses me out so much. I mean, I just like the whole time, I'm like, like I can feel my whole self getting tense because um, you just like in your mind, you're like counting the signals, right? Um, yeah. That you see. And it's just, uh, it's heartbreaking for the dog, right? Well, yeah. And, and if anything happens to the, the child too, obviously, but um, yeah. Anyways. Um, okay, so um, Ness, do you have any last minute questions 
for Tanya? Um, not really. No, I think we've hit all the, the major points. So, yeah. Okay. Um, Tanya, do you have any last minute tips for our audience? I actually wanted to highlight a point that I think that is oftentimes overlooked as well when it comes to how we develop as humans and how that uh gets her gets us to behave versus dogs so for example you have a young child uh children are going to be looking to um you know people or even animals they're wanting to bond with in their eyes close proximity to their face um which for a dog that may be feeling a little uncomfortable having you know that being that is right in front of you and staring you in the eyes can be really scary um we love physical touch and our dogs love physical touch however from people that they're know and they're comfortable with that doesn't mean that that is you know a young child while they're still getting used to so things like hugging kissing those are things that come so natural and maybe us as the parents or the, the adults are not even recognizing but can be so overly stressful to a dog so kind of considering those um those aspects of development and how different we are humans from dogs and kind of recognizing that we don't always need to be face to face we don't need to be kiss right. kissing and hugging we can mm -hmm. just kind of um you know have different types of interactions that uh may be fun in a different way like play with a toy or let's toss this mm -hmm. or let's toss that um mm -hmm. yeah it's just one of those things i can share just a quick example for our dog we had a, a a family friend over and they had two young children the little girl was three years of age and our dog was sleeping on his bed and she was going to bed so then she goes to her mom and she's like oh can i go give the dog a little hug and kiss for good night and the mom goes yes and i go no <laughs> <laughs> You need to recognize dog is sleeping, dog is resting, keep children away from their beds. And especially when they're sleeping and resting, because, um, you know, dog, the dog can just have a snapping reaction that is not their fault. And I mean, there is just so much to, to yeah, spread yeah. out there when it comes to information. I don't want to go too much over it, but just a couple examples of things to consider and to look into as well. Mm -hmm. Well, I think you bring up a good point there because you said earlier, and I totally agree with this, is that um, the dog having a safe space, right? Mm -hmm. And so whether that's their bed or a crate or a closet or, you know, whatever that safe place is, I mean, I think that everybody in the household or anybody who interacts with the dog really needs to know the kind of rules that surround that. Like if that's truly a safe place, that means like, you know, nobody can bother them when they're in it, right? And so um, really just establishing that I think is really important. So I really like how um, you're trying to show parents how to look through that lens a little bit differently from the perspective of the dog and say, hey, but this is different. This is, is not like kissing a human child when they're sleeping or, you know, putting them to bed or whatever. Um, mm -hmm. Also, I wanted to, to bring up one other thing 
is that a lot of times babies are grabby with their hands. And so, you know, when we think, oh, they're going to pet the dog, they actually like would grab onto the fur and depending like my personal dog, he doesn't like to be pet that much, even by me who he trusts. And so if like, I kind of felt bad and and said, okay, well, I'm going to let this small child or baby pet him. And they grabbed his fur. Like a, it would be aversive that a a stranger was petting him, but B then, then it hurts too. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, so you really have to think about, you know, advocating for your dog, not only for your dog's welfare, but also for the safety of the child. Um, so really balancing that. And, and I think in our culture, it can sometimes be really difficult to speak up and be like, no, that's not okay. You know, my dog's not going to enjoy that. So, um, I think it's really important that you're there for them pointing those things out, maybe even giving them some scripts or words to use, um, so that they can feel comfortable when they feel that kind of pressure, like, Eek, I don't know what to do in this situation. I'm not comfortable with it, but I don't know what to do, you know? Um, I think it's really hard to advocate for your dog, though, sometimes because we're coached as we're children, you know, be polite. And that's mm-hmm. that's really hard to when you become an adult and you're, you become a maybe I have to, you know, someone must pet my dog, I have to let them. And that's really mm-hmm. hard sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I, I find it's for me, the hardest situation with Rowan is when a kid walks up nicely and asks nicely because you want to uh, reinforce that behavior in them that they're walking up slowly and that they're asking. Um, but for for Rowan, that's that's not okay. Like he's not comfortable with that. Like he's not going to lunge and bark at him, or but it's not comfortable. So I won't put him in that position. So for kids, I'll try to explain, like, wouldn't it feel really weird to you? Like if a stranger came up and hugged you, that's how Rowan feels. If somebody doesn't know pets him, you know what I mean? And like, try to like, at least talk through it. So they don't just think I'm being mean. (laughs) So, and and so they can gain understanding too. I mean, I think that's really important um, in setting expectations about dogs in general, that not all of them are going to want to greet everybody. Yeah, I find it really helpful that even at a young age, we can start to point things out to children. And over time, they can really start to grasp it. Say, hey, when you approach the doggy so fast, did you see how the doggy looked away and licked their lips? That means that they're not comfortable. So next time, mm-hmm. let's try this. Or, hey, when you went and you, you know, grabbed on the doggy's fur, they did this and that. And now you're starting to point things out to the child and they can be so observant and they can take in a lot of information. Mm-hmm. So they can be really good. And I guess that's the other point is like, hey, if your dog is, you know, okay with a lot of things that a child may be doing that may not be okay for some other dogs, we still Mm -hmm. need to point things out because what if that was another dog, like your child is at a play date and there is Mm -hmm. another dog there and they cannot take this type of approach. So just kind of coaching them and teaching them about the subtle ways that dogs behave can really start to create that 
um, effect on children and they can start to share with their friends and start to build that understanding from a young age. It's, it's totally doable because once you see it, it can be hard to not see it. It's so true. (laughs) It's so true. Yeah. So I have one more question for you. Um, when do you think people should seek professional help? Sure. Um, so when it comes to babies and newborns, it's very rare, but if they feel like their dog is in any way exhibiting any type of prey drive, you know, like Mm. it could be excessive vocalization when they're looking at the baby or when in the presence of the baby, or it can be a certain um, a stare, or it can be a certain response to movements and sounds that the baby makes that comes out with a certain amount of intensity. Again, I stress that's very rare. However, if there is even um, a doubt about it, I think that should be looked by professional just to make sure we're keeping everybody safe. Um, highlighting again, stress, stress, body signals. Um, I want to get stress under control as quickly as possible because once it starts to accumulate, um, we start to see the dog escalating in their behavior as well. Um, And I also find that barking, as I mentioned in the beginning, excessive barking uh, can be one of those, you know, new nonsense type of um not nonsense a problem behavior that can be really stressful for the family Mm -hmm. it can be stressful when the child is trying to sleep um so kind of getting barking out under control can really help for the relationship um i think Mm -hmm. and i guess guarding is a final point because even if the child is um, stationary as a baby, you know, not too much movement, mm-hmm. the dog may have some resource guarding um, tendencies, but then, you know, a child is growing, we didn't address those, we really need to be on top of it, you have a lot of toys, you have a lot of, uh, you know, arresting spots, and so on, we don't want to, to risk that at all. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I, I think if you are even in a little bit of doubt about whether your dog is prepared for the baby coming. Um, Mm -hmm. I think being proactive is fabulous. Um, So I love when people, you know, reach out early uh, to, to trainers to get that support, because I do think having that guidance through, um, through a difficult time is, is super important. Um, but like you said, if, if you're, um, at all concerned about any of the dog's behaviors, reaching out sooner rather than later is a, is a good call. Um, okay. So, um, I know that you have a website and you probably have offerings of your own. So, um, is there anything you want to tell our audience about, um, that you have and and let us know what your website is? Sure. Well, thank you so much. Our website is familypupspupz.com. We have our own podcast as well. It's called the Family Pups Podcast. And we describe we discuss the most commonly requested behavioral and training issues. So we cover a wide 
range of subjects there. Um, when it comes to offerings, I thought that it will be beneficial for the audience who either is preparing for a baby or lives with a dog and toddler to share the following offering. So we have a dogs and toddlers webinar that goes over management, uh, body language and everything that in a summarized way that a family needs to know in order to prepare for what's to come. So we are um, going to give uh, $10 of the webinar with uh, sales from the dog house promo code to your listeners. That's nice. Thank you. You're very welcome. I actually have one more for the doggy doula for the expecting families, just because as disgusting can be a little more personalized. I'm happy to <laughs> offer any of your listeners um, who may be in need of some help and support in that. Uh, $25 of the initial consultation, and that will be the Tales from the Dog House 25. Okay. Fabulous. Fabulous. Well, thank you for doing that. I appreciate that. And yeah, I'm sure our listeners will too, particularly if they're, they're preparing for a baby. Yes. I, I hope that it was helpful for your audience. Uh, for me, it's even if there is one or two takeaways, they're really stuck out and they can incorporate right away. That was, that is going to be so amazing. So um, that's, I'm always happy to do that. And it's a subject that we can definitely talk on for much, much longer. <laughs> yes, yes, always, always. Well, um, I think you've given our audience a super starting point for, um, you know, next steps, ne next things to think about and next steps to take. Um, so we appreciate you coming on the show and um and hope our listeners take advantage of those promo codes uh, thank you tanya it's uh, lovely talking to you thank you so much oh thank you for listening to tales from the dog house separation anxiety explained thank you for watching the show hope you got a lot out of it uh, i am ness jones in australia from separation anxiety in dogs decoded and i am stacy bell from focus fun in the u.s Thank <laughs> you.